Hello and welcome to Ready, Set, Retire, an audio guide packed with information to help you achieve a successful retirement. I'm your co-host, John McComb, with more than half a century of award-winning broadcasting experience. It's my pleasure to join Lori Pinkowski every two weeks for Ready, Set, Retire. Lori is an award-winning and highly respected portfolio manager and senior vice president at Canaccord Genuity, who has been successfully managing retirement portfolios for over two decades. We're here to talk about everything from financial and estate planning to travel, hobbies and health matters and so much more. Whether you're thinking about your retirement or already living your retirement dreams, Ready, Set, Retire is for you. And Laurie, November is Financial Literacy Month in Canada, where Canadians are encouraged to invest in their financial well-being. Financial literacy means having the skills and knowledge to make informed decisions about managing money. Financial literacy is important in this country because 4 in 10 Canadians report that money is a daily concern, and 6 out of 10 Canadians don't have an idea of how much money they need to save for retirement, when they need to start saving, or what they should do with their savings. And people with higher levels of financial confidence have better results with day-to-day money management. Definitely, John. For Financial Literacy Month, we were inspired by an article by uh, Rob Carrick in the Globe and Mail. Six things a brutally honest banker would tell you about mortgages, HELOCs, and market-linked GICs. And and we did touch on this on uh, CKNW a couple of weeks ago, but I felt there was just so much good information around those subjects, especially for retirees, John, that I thought it would be great if we included it on a Ready, Set, Retire The article was published on uh, Monday, November the 1st. Rob is a personal finance columnist at the Globe and Mail, and the article is available on our website, Pinkowski Wealth Management, our Facebook page, Twitter, and LinkedIn. What Rob is discussing here in terms of Financial Literacy Month is that a lot of the institutions out there, the financial institutions are telling us, you know, we got to become more savvy in investing in our finances and so on. But at the same time, they could be leading us down a path that may not be in our best interest uh, in terms of a, a consumer or an investor. And so I thought it would be great if we could touch on some of those points as well today, John. You mean the banks don't have our best interests at heart? Is that what I hear you saying? Sometimes they're looking at increasing their profits. Can you believe that? (laughs) I'm shocked. Today on Ready, Set, Retire, we are discussing Rob's article in greater detail, discussing mortgages, HELOCs, and mortgage-linked GICs, etc. Oftentimes, we think that banks are our best resource for simple financial products that benefit you the most. But, like any other business, banks are competitive and try to earn a profit. And I think Rob makes a good point in the Globe and Mail article about why you should be skeptical of big banks and some of the products and services that may not be in your best interest. So here are six things that a brutally honest banker would tell you. Many people believe that savings accounts are a safe place to park their money. After all, we all need money on hand for unforeseen expenses, and savings accounts pay a small return. But why might savings accounts not actually be as good as most people believe, Lori? And what are the problems with letting your money pile up in your bank account? Savings accounts are there for your kind of day-to-day needs. But savings accounts as an investment or an investment account, 
definitely not a good long-term strategy. So what we've found when people are coming to us, you know, maybe they've sold a piece of real estate, they got some inheritance, they go to their local bank branch and they're telling them, do we have an account for you? Our high interest (laughs) savings account is where you should park your funds. Just remember that the rates right now at the banks could be anywhere from 0.05 to maybe half a percent, like if you're lucky. So and there's got to be a better way. And if it's short term in nature or if it's for your day to day sort of banking, paying bills, and a lot of people like to keep some sort of cushion, John, in the bank, and, and we encourage that. But when you start piling up too much money in these savings accounts or high interest savings, you know, inflation is eating away at your money. And at, at this point, it's four to five percent here in Canada. And uh, you need to look at a long term investment strategy. And, and even though savings accounts don't change in value, they don't go up, they don't go down. Realistically, they are going down because of inflation. You just don't see that happening. So you want to talk to a financial advisor, a portfolio manager to ensure that your money is being invested properly for where we are in the cycle at this point. So again, savings accounts are not a great product for a long-term investment strategy. Let's talk about mortgages for a second. For people considering a mortgage, we often tend to fixate on getting the best rates available. It's all about the mortgage rate. And in today's interest rate environment and mixed opinions about what the future of interest rates holds, it makes a lot of sense to compare rates with a fine-tooth comb. But rates are not the only thing that matters when it comes to choosing your mortgage, whether you're renewing, buying, or co-signing with a grandchild. So what other aspects of bank-offered mortgages do people need to be skeptical about? I did find myself in that situation. Banks definitely look at kind of gouging you if you want to refinance or break your mortgage early. And a lot of banks and other institutions are competitive with rates these days, but What I've learned is that that's not the only question you should be asking. It's not just about interest rates. It's about how flexible that mortgage may be and and depending on what you're needing it for. And although rates are important, and like I said, a lot of the banks are competing for your business, try to look at two different banks or mortgage brokers in order to get the best mortgage for what you need that's most flexible. So if you need to change your mortgage at any point in time is also very important. So when it comes to deciding on a mortgage, another big question is what can you actually afford? So why should you consider carefully the amount a bank tells you that you can safely borrow for a mortgage? Yeah. And so to Rob's point, it says banks can't be trusted to tell you how much you can safely borrow for a mortgage. And my answer to that is, no, maybe they can't, but we can (laughs) because we're doing financial and retirement plans, right? So unless you actually have a plan done, you probably don't actually know how much you should be buying in terms of a property, whether that's for yourself as, you know, if you're downsizing for retirement or if you're helping out a child or a grandchild with a mortgage, again, just qualifying for a mortgage doesn't simply mean that you're doing a good job with your finances. It does mean you usually have good credit, decent cash flow, but it doesn't say long term. Should I be buying this property? Can I afford it? And what happens if interest rates actually do go up and I have to renew my mortgage at a higher rate? They do some stress tests for you as an individual, but it is helpful when your portfolio manager or a financial planner can really run through all the numbers for you before you sign for that mortgage. You have worked in the financial industry for over 20 years, and I'm sure you can testify that the way a bank works is a lot different than an independent financial firm. 
So what different credentials allow you to do for clients that perhaps the banks can't do? And why might the term advisor at the bank not mean exactly what people expect it to? Well, what I've seen is that the type of advice that you might be getting in some of the bank branches compared to if you're with, you know, a licensed financial advisor in an investment institution or the investment arm of a bank is very different from a bank branch. And even though they may have the term advisor thrown around all over the place, a lot of the financial people that you come in contact with in a branch are really only able to either sell you their own mutual funds, right, the bank mutual funds, or depending on the size of your account, they may refer you to some sort of senior advisor. But again, very rarely do I see people who are at a bank branch have any exposure to individual stocks and, and things like that, have a more like sophisticated portfolio. And they're usually in all of that bank's mutual funds. So again, you need to watch out for that. As I've mentioned before, do they have the best mutual funds out of everybody in Canada or are they only investing in their own product because that's all they can do for you? And that's really the question. And so again, being kind of, you know, having more independent advice to me, I think is so beneficial to retirees, to investors. And again, you want to just see how people are licensed. Being a certified financial planner is great. And that's why we have a financial planner on our team. We've got financial planners in the firm. But if it's just a financial planner, often if they're not a financial advisor or a portfolio manager on top of that, they're only licensed to sell mutual funds. And so again, are mutual funds the best investment for most people? I always say when I see a mutual fund portfolio, 100% in funds, I often say you can do better. You usually can pay lower fees, have greater transparency, better risk management, simply if you change the types of investments that you're in. And so I've been able to prove that time and time and time again, John, over the past 20 years. <laughs> because you're a portfolio manager, what does that allow you to do, say, that a, a simple advisor or other person can't do? I was just explaining this yesterday in a meeting, actually. So a portfolio manager, what we're, we have a fiduciary duty to clients. We're able to act on our client's behalf and make the day-to-day -day decisions on their portfolio, whether that's buying Royal Bank stock and selling TELUS or buying Amazon, whatever that might be. We're able to act on behalf of all of our clients at the same time, which is obviously very efficient when markets are volatile and markets are moving. We're able to get in, get out if we need to for people. In terms of an advisor, they have to call all of their clients to make a change to their portfolio. So what does that mean? Well, the average advisor has 100 clients. Where are you on that list? Are you their first call or their last call? And that usually depends on how easy you are to deal with, probably. The conversations that one has to have with 50 or 100 people to make a change can be very inefficient and take a very long time, especially if markets are moving. And so that's where I see... As financial advisors, it's just a little bit more difficult to make changes to the portfolio. So what happens is they end up not making changes to the portfolio. So maybe they meet with you every six months or usually annually. And at that time, especially a mutual fund type financial advisor will be making changes once a year to your portfolio because that's the time he's meeting with you and it's easiest to communicate that with you. It depends what you want. I mean, if you want to be more hands-on with your portfolio, you love the stock market, 
you want to make the decisions, right? That being with a portfolio manager probably isn't for you. You want to be with a financial advisor. But I'd say the majority of people who are getting into retirement or who are already retired, they want to go enjoy life, live life, hang out with their family, travel once COVID is over, and let their portfolio management team do the rest. And so do you, as a portfolio manager, have a higher level of education or a different kind of background or... How do you get that designation? Yeah, it's further education to get that designation. And usually each firm has certain qualifications that you have to pass in order to be able to qualify as a portfolio manager, like you have to have experience and so on. So you have to be a financial advisor before you are a portfolio manager. You're an associate portfolio manager first, like uh, I was back in 2009 for two years. And then I've been a portfolio manager ever since then. So the industry is moving more towards portfolio management. It just makes more sense in terms of being able to act quickly and efficiently on behalf of your clients. That's what people want us to do. They rather have us acting and making decisions for them than being on the phone for three weeks straight trying to buy or sell something for a client. All right, back to uh, Rob's list. And for homeowners, one attractive product offered by the banks is a home equity line of credit, a HELOC. And while a HELOC allows you to tap into the value of your home to borrow only the amount you need, the variable payments can actually make this type of borrowing a lot riskier. So why might a bank product such as a HELOC not be designed for someone's best interest? I think it depends on who you are, because they're not necessarily a bad way to do things. It's just a lot of them are interest only, or you're not paying down uh, your actual principal or, or payments. You're not paying down that loan. So what I've seen, unfortunately, is that people are kind of racking up this uh, home bank account and not paying it off and going into retirement with a big HELOC. And so, you know, if somebody has a lot of investments and they have a large portfolio and they can pay it off at any time, then it's no big deal. But some of the rates are variable. And as we're entering this stage of the cycle where rates are going to be increasing, a HELOC might not be your best bet as you head into retirement. And you should also still have a plan to pay it off at some point. I mean, some people have the never-never plan where they're planning to pay it off when they sell their home, but they have no plan to sell their home. So (laughs) you just have to be careful with that sort of financial planning if you're, uh, again, leaning on the banks for the advice of whether you should have one, not have one. There are better people to be asking. And if you just qualify for it, that's just one part of the puzzle. But again, should you have it? Should you have a long term? Is there a plan to pay it off? That's where you involve your portfolio management team, a financial planner, your accountant, things like that. And hopefully all those professionals can talk to each other on your behalf to really figure out uh, what you need. Because you're, you're effectively, you're, you're borrowing against your house and it becomes very easy to do over a period of time. But doing that long term and then comes D-Day and you're going, oh, gee, the equity in my house isn't what I thought it was. Exactly. I think that here in Vancouver, we're just so used to the real estate market recovering quickly or moving ahead. And just think about that period of time. If it does come where the real estate market doesn't do well and you need to pay off your line of credit and you need to sell your house and you can't. I guess here in Canada, we haven't experienced how bad it can be. But in the U.S. back in 2008, 2009, of course, uh, we, we saw that happen. And not just there, but globally, many different places. So you want to talk to someone who's looking at your overall financial situation and not just your mortgage or home situation, right? There's a lot more parts to that. 
Another product offered by banks that can be appealing to a lot of people are market-linked GICs. So what is a market-linked GIC, and why might market-linked GICs not be as good of an investment as they sound? Well, they're financially engineered kind of products by the banks. And so how it's sold to people is that you can participate in the markets going higher if they do, and you're protected if the markets go lower. And you're protected usually only to a certain extent. And a lot of people end up being in these types of investments that end up having very little to no return over the length of the investment. And usually they're you know anywhere between three to, I'd say, five or six year holds. And they're not really liquid. You can't get out of them. And so they're often sold to people when markets are volatile, like markets are scary. So people are going, OK, well, you know, I'll get back in a little when really they should be probably just getting back into the market and, and not getting in these types of products. So often I don't see these products work out for people when they've come to us with them. And like I said, they're just very difficult to get out of. The returns are maybe as much as a GIC, maybe a little more and the stock market might be doing a lot better. And on the downside, they protect you to a certain extent. But if the market goes down further than that line in the sand that they have, then it's just basically dead money for like three to six years. So it's very complex. And I just feel that um, even a lot of the people I think that are selling them don't fully understand the complexities of that kind of product. Something that I usually recommend people stay away from and talk to uh Somebody more independent that's able to provide you better advice in terms of which investments you should be in. Rob Carrick describes these as a junk product. Yes, he does. <laughs> Do you agree with that assessment? Let's just say it's something I've never invested in, never advised anyone <laughs> to invest in. And when people come to me with them, I don't like them. Okay. <laughs> that, that pretty well sums it up, I think. It does, doesn't it? As we wrap up, let's uh, review. It's important to have trusted financial professionals who you feel comfortable and confident asking questions to. When Canadians are better able to understand finances, they become more confident and ultimately make better decisions about their money, which is supposed to be what it's all about. Exactly. You know, it's definitely important to have some financial literacy, although a lot of people come to us that say right away, I don't follow markets. This is not something I'm interested in. What should I be looking at? You know, what, what kind of questions should I be asking even? And questions you should be asking are, you know, are you going to provide a financial plan for me? Am I going to be able to ask you questions about estate planning or taxes? Um, or do you just manage my portfolio directly? That's something you can ask a financial advisor, portfolio manager. I think understanding how your money is going to be invested, what are the risks of that? And, and again, nobody's got a crystal ball, but those discussions need to happen. And I find a lot of discussion is happening around GICs and GIC investors. People who have been in GICs for many, many years are going, I can't stay in this type of strategy. So now they're stepping out of that and asking the questions, what else is out there for me? And that's where, again, having a balanced type portfolio, understanding uh, having someone that can explain things to you in an easy-to-understand manner, I think, is really important as you as an investor. If you're trying to learn more about your financial situation or the markets or investments, don't just leave it up to the bank branch to kind of give you the advice. You need other people to get involved in order to get the proper advice for your unique financial situation, for sure, John. And the problem, talking about GICs, is that if you don't realize early enough that they aren't working for you, then if you're planning for your retirement, 
that's a weight on your retirement goal. For sure. I mean, you may not have the cash flow that you need, whether you're retiring next year or five years or 10 years from now. If we have high inflation for the next year to two years or more, that's going to have a negative effect on portfolios that are invested highly in GICs and bonds. I always say, you know, you need to understand people's situation in order to manage their money. So this isn't just clear cut. But again, you know, when we're looking at where we are in the cycle and next year and rates going higher as they're expected to, you need to start changing because this is a a significant difference of how the world was a year or two ago. We didn't have inflation at four to six percent here in North America. And that is making a significant difference to how your money needs to be managed as you lead up to retirement or if you're already retired. So again, that's why it's so important to be talking to really good professionals as the world changes at this point. And just on the, on that point, uh, there seems to be a certain amount of, dare I say, pessimism or concern about inflation going up and whether that's going to slow down the economy. Of course, when inflation goes up, most times people's wages don't necessarily keep up. And so it can be a time when people are filled with anxiety. And so it's best to have a financial advisor, a portfolio manager to sit down and talk to and say, okay, what can we do about this? How can we manage this? You're right, John. You can see that with consumer numbers right now. Consumer sentiment is not as high as it was uh, a few months ago, and that is because of inflationary pressures that we're seeing. And so at this point, going through earnings season, we had a lot of companies beat expectations, beat on revenue and so on. Some of those costs they're seeing, the increased costs they're passing along to the consumer, and, and usually in inflationary times, the best place to be is in equities, commodities, hard assets, real estate. But again, that can change if inflation is persistent and sticks around for not just a year, but for years. And as we saw in the 80s. So we need to be mindful that our environment around us is changing in terms of the economy. And it's just important to have a financial team that's on top of those changes. Because like I said earlier, nobody has a crystal ball. You just have to be proactive and be on top of the changing economic circumstances out there. We always like to wrap up with a quote. What do you have for us this week? One of the best things you can do for yourself is to invest in yourself. And By that, I mean probably invest more in your knowledge, making sure that you're doing your research in terms of ensuring that you're with a good financial person or team that can be understanding your unique individual circumstance for you and your family and providing the right advice for you. And the research part, I think, is important because, as you said right off the top, a lot of times people who are not particularly financially savvy will look at it and go, well, I don't read about it. I don't know anything about it. It's just bleh. But once you start kind of diving into it and, and doing the research and starting to think about it, it's not a, as shadowy as a lot of people make it out to be. If you have some professional help that goes along with it, you can become financially savvy pretty quick. Exactly. And being able to, you know, have clear communication with whoever you're dealing with. And and you learn a little bit at a time. I mean, you know, we used to put on a lot of events for people, as you remember, I'm sure, since COVID, haven't been able to do that. But again, that's why I'm so 
excited to educate the public through obviously CKW or through Kelowna Radio and so that we're able to really talk about things that matter and talk about it together, John. Um, you're not a professional finance guy, but over the last 10, 12 years with me, I'm sure you probably have gained a lot of knowledge and insight. <laughs> I, I wish I'd had the knowledge and insight 40 years ago. <laughs> would have, better, things would have been a heck of a lot easier. Be, better late than never. Better late than never, That's, right? So that That is true. Yeah. So I really appreciate, you know, that we're able to have these conversations and, and talk about things that matter to Canadians and to investors and um, and so that we can get the me message out and, and really educate people. So so thanks again. This was a, a great segment. And thanks to Rob again from the Globe and Mail for giving yep. us this fantastic article and again you can find it on our website uh, Pinkowski Wealth Management and we will catch up with you in a couple of weeks sounds good John look forward to talking to you soon that's all for this week's edition of Ready Set Retire if you're interested in learning more or have any questions please don't hesitate to call Lori and her team at Pinkowski Wealth Management 604-695-LORI 604-695-5674. For Lori Pinkowski, I'm John McComb. Thanks for listening and join us again in two weeks for another edition of Ready, Set, Retire.